This is Positively Farming Media. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. As we start to plan our gardens for this year, we may realize that we don't have enough room for everything that we want to grow. Even with the amount of space we have on our farm, I still end up having to find creative ways to fit it all in. This is where intercropping and succession planting come in. We're planting different plants with each other to make the most of our space, or we're planting them one after another, sometimes with some overlap. And lots of times you'll hear these terms used interchangeably or in conjunction with each other. But what about companion planting? Is intercropping and companion planting the same thing, or do they serve different purposes? To my way of thinking, they are two sides of the same coin, each serving their own purpose, but in very much the same manner. In today's episode, we'll dig into the principles of both intercropping and companion planting, explore the differences and the similarities between both, and talk about how we can use both methods to our benefit in our gardens. Let's dig in. Hey, I'm Karen, and I started gardening 18 years ago in a small corner of my suburban backyard. When we moved to a five-acre homestead, I expanded that garden to half an acre, and I found such joy and purpose in feeding my family and friends. This newfound love for digging in the dirt and providing for others prompted my husband and I to grow our small homestead into a 40-acre market farm. When I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture, I discovered there is so much power in food, and I want to share everything I've learned with as many people as possible. On this podcast, we explore crop information, soil health, pests and diseases, plant nutrition, our own nutrition, and so much more in the world of food and gardening. So grab your garden journal and a cup of coffee and get ready to just grow something. Okay, so really quickly, don't forget, if you want to get on the waiting list to hear more about my upcoming garden planning course when it opens up, head to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash plan, and I will send you all the details when we're ready to launch. You'll get to know all the information before anyone else, and spoiler alert, in that course, I go through a lot about intercropping and companion planting and how to work it into your garden plan to uh, to get the best yield. So justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash plan. I also want to read a review that came in during December through Apple Podcasts. This five-star review is titled, I Can't Get Enough, and it's from Crazy Plant Lady 81 and she says, I have been gardening for many years, and every episode has new and valuable information. Karen covers topics that are relevant to many growing zones and conditions, not just where she lives in the Midwest. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you so much for that. I really do try to make sure the information I'm sharing is not just relevant to the Midwest. Even though we may time our plantings of crops differently based on our our zones, much of the growing information is similar regardless of where we're gardening. So even though I want you to hear my experiences with specific crops or diseases or plants or whatever, um, it I do try to be sure that the information I present is valuable no matter where you are. So thank you so much for the feedback and the kudos, Crazy Plant Lady 81. <laughs> I love that screen name. So let's jump into intercropping versus companion planting. If we want to distinguish between companion planting and intercropping, we need to define them, right? The problem with this is that there's really no firm definition of companion planting. It really does depend on who you ask. In general, the idea behind companion planting is that you are planting multiple crops in close proximity to each other to provide some sort of benefit. 
you're trying to enhance the production of them in some way, whether that's providing protection from insects or providing nutrients or helping with the soil texture. The problem with this definition is that many of the recommendations for companion planting, specifically when we look at repelling insects, is not based in science. Usually this has been taken from decades of people experimenting in their own gardens, making a correlation between what they planted and a result, like fewer insects, and then passing that information on as fact with no actual proof of causation. From a scientific research perspective, if you type the term companion planting into your search engine, you're likely gonna end up with articles and suggestions and infographics that don't necessarily have a base in science and may be mostly old wives' tales. This is correlation over causation. If you want to find specific papers related to the benefits of companion planting, you're actually better off searching for the term intercropping. You'll get a lot more resources. Now, that's not to say that there aren't scientific papers out there researching companion planting, because there are. Many of them go back as early as the 1950s. But if you're looking for published resources on either topic, I recommend starting your search on the Google Scholar website rather than a regular search engine, and then searching very specific keywords like companion planting for insect control or whatever. And interestingly, many of the papers that come up with companion planting in the title refer to the method that they used as intercropping, which gives us a different problem. Intercropping is also the act of planting different crops with one another, but in most cases, from a layman's standpoint, we've typically looked at this strictly from a space-saving point of view. We're either planting smaller crops with taller ones for an entire season, or we're doing relay plantings where one younger crop is planted into another one that's already on its way to maturity. In this way, the second crop gets a little bit of a head start while the first one's still on the ground, and that maximizes the use of the space. This can be done with just about any crop combination, so long as they don't compete with each other too much for the nutrients or for sunlight. So typically with intercropping, we're more concerned about avoiding adverse effects and less concerned about the added benefits of planting those crops together, although they're not mutually exclusive, which is where companion planting in layman's terms and intercropping in agricultural terms sort of come all together. So let's explore typical intercropping scenarios, both full season and relay plantings, and then we'll look at how those can also be companion plantings. And then we'll look at a couple of typical companion planting scenarios and see if we can spot the difference or if in reality, they really are all the same technique. And let's also remember too that we're talking about this on a small scale, like our individual gardens or even a small market farm. Large scale agriculture approaches these topics a little bit differently and the nomenclature may be a little bit more in depth. So for instance, um, commercial cropping may break down the different patterns of intercropping into strips, rows, mixed plantings, relay plantings. We're just gonna stick to the basic general concepts here, so don't get confused if you use your search engine to find more information about this. The terms aren't super important right here, okay? So let's say that we've got a crop of head lettuces growing in one of my garden beds. Eventually, when the weather warms up and the lettuce has reached maturity, I'm gonna harvest those lettuces and I'm gonna replace them with tomatoes. 
I know I've used this example before, but there's a really good reason for that. So let so bear with me. Once the weather conditions are right, I can just plop those tomato seedlings right in among my lettuce plants. Since the tomato plants are fairly small when they go in, they're not going to overshadow the lettuce enough to slow their growth. Once the lettuce matures and is harvested, the tomatoes have plenty of space to continue to grow and they've gotten a head start rather than waiting to be planted until after the lettuce was already harvested. And then in the fall, I can just work that whole plan in reverse. So in the late summer, when the weather is still warm, I can plant my lettuce directly underneath those tomato plants. The soil will be warm enough to either germinate the seeds or to settle those transplants in, but the tomato plants will shade the small little lettuce sprouts to keep them from getting wilted in the summer heat. And then as the lettuce matures, the lower leaves of those tomato plants can just be pruned or stripped off to allow for more room for the lettuce and allow more light to come through as those days cool off. I can be harvesting lettuce and tomatoes at the same time toward late fall. And then when the first frost is imminent, I can just cut those tomato plants down, cover the lettuce with some frost cloth, and I can continue to harvest lettuce until a real hard freeze hits. So essentially, in this instance, I've gotten three crops in one bed, which saves a bunch of space in the other areas of the garden for other crops. So this is an example of using relay intercropping specifically to save space. But is this also companion planting? If we look at what each plant gets from this combination, we can see there are definite benefits. First, we see that there is no conflict of nutrients here, so it's, there's no detriment to either of the plants. Lettuce pulls the most nitrogen from the soil during the end stages of its life cycle, between the time it starts forming its head and the time it's mature. This is generally around the last month before it's harvested. Conversely to this, tomatoes don't pull very much nitrogen at all from the soil until they get to be about 50 days or so post-transplant. So there's no conflict there. In the fall, the tomatoes have reached maturity and their production is reduced, meaning, yeah, they're pulling less nitrogen at that point. And by the time the fall lettuces reach the point where it needs more nitrogen, the tomato plants are about tapped out and the weather is gonna likely end their production before there's a conflict anyway. If there is a concern there, there's nothing that says that we can't side dress the lettuce with a little bit of nitrogen, but that also just means that there's no conflict. So is there an actual benefit? Well, think about what we do with mulch. We cover the soil with mulch so that there is less moisture loss and fewer chances for weeds to crop up. We can look in this instance at the lettuce as a living mulch for the tomatoes. When the tomato seedlings are most prone to that weed pressure when they're very little, the lettuce helps to keep the weeds crowded out. And the lettuce also takes up space in the bed, which is reducing the moisture loss from soil exposure, and it's also holding that topsoil in place. So later on, the tomatoes are shading those new lettuce plants, giving them the opportunity to grow in an environment that might otherwise be too hot when we plant them in the late fall. So by the time the weather cools and the lettuce plants no longer need that protection, the tomatoes are cut down to the ground, exposing the lettuce to full sun and all the warmth that it needs. So I would argue that this is an example of intercropping that also serves as a companion planting. There is a benefit to one or both of the crops at any given time. In this instance, it's weed suppression, moisture retention, and protection from heat stress. So 
I'll give you another brief example. I plant sweet peas in the very early spring here and I plant spinach seeds in the bed directly below the pea trellis once those peas have sprouted and they're actively climbing. So remember, legume plants like peas and beans and clover all contain nitrogen-fixing bacteria. These bacteria live in the nodules in the plant roots. So those bacteria are converting nitrogen gas from the air into a form that the plant can use to make the proteins that it needs. So this benefits the pea plants while they're growing, but this also benefits the spinach. Once those pea plants are done producing, if I cut them down and I leave the roots intact, that's also leaving the nitrogen nodules in the soil. And as those nodules release that nitrogen, the spinach plants can take up that nitrogen right when it needs it most, which just like the lettuce is in the final 30 days before harvest. So in most instances, I've already been harvesting spinach at the same time I'm harvesting my peas. But these nodules essentially allow the pea plants to produce their own nitrogen, leaving the soil nitrogen available to the spinach until the peas are done and they're cut down. So not only are the peas helping the spinach in terms of nutrients, but the spinach is acting as a living mulch for the peas, suppressing the weeds and keeping that soil cool at the root zone where the peas need it the most. So again, it's a space-saving interplanting technique that also serves as a companion planting trick that benefits both plants. Let's look at the classic three sisters method of intercropping, which we would argue is also companion planting. So three sisters, corn, squash, and beans. The idea is to plant your corn and allow it to begin to grow. And then you plant a pole bean at the base of the corn and then squint, uh, winter squash in between the rows. The beans fix nitrogen into the soil that the corn uses to grow. The corn acts as a trellis for the beans to climb. And then the squash vines across and it covers the ground between the corn and the beans, which chokes out the weeds and helps retain moisture. This is a classic intercropping that is also companion planting. There are some examples of intercropping that really is about nothing but saving space. One really good example is garlic and peppers. Garlic takes up a ton of space in the garden for a full six months, right? It's fall through early summer. But once it's harvested, that bed is a great place for a summer crop. Planting some pepper plants in between the rows of garlic while that garlic is still coming to maturity isn't going to impede on the garlic. And then when the garlic gets harvested, the pepper plants can just take off and have all that space to themselves. In our area, pepper plants go in the ground early to mid-May and garlic is harvested mid-June. So it works out perfectly. If you really wanna maximize that space, you can plant leafy greens in the understory of the peppers in the late summer to transition back to a fall crop again like we do with the lettuce and the tomatoes. Or think about planting shallow-rooted plants like radishes in between deeper-rooted plants like tomatoes or spinach alongside your strawberries. It's simply a matter of saving space, and that's okay. I think we can still say they make good companions, even though the only benefit to this type of intercropping is space. I told you guys all about one of my favorite gardening tools, my Hori Hori knife, and the one I swear by is from Truly Garden. They are another veteran-owned business, and they specialize in a small collection of high-quality tools for gardeners. Now you can try out Truly Garden's products and save a little coin in the process while supporting this podcast. 
Go to trulygarden.com and use code JUSTGROW for 10% off your first purchase. That's T-R-U-L-Y garden.com with code JUSTGROW at checkout to save 10% on your first purchase from Truly Garden. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so what about companion planting and, and companion planting specifically maybe for insect pest control? One of the biggest reasons that gardeners look up companion planting, specifically organic gardeners, is for insect pests. It seems, of course, like there's always something in the garden that wants to eat our plants before we get the chance. So what we wouldn't give to find a way to keep them at bay or otherwise control them with natural means. Well, enter companion plants and trap crops. Things like aphids and nematodes, white flies, and cabbage moths are all candidates for control with plants. Whether it's for insect-repelling properties, the ability to attract beneficial predatory insects, camouflaging the crop, or acting as a bait, certain plants have gained a reputation for being the best friends of many of our garden plants. And sometimes that reputation is well-researched and it's well-deserved. There have been actual studies on marigolds, for example, that specific marigold varieties control specific plant parasitic nematodes. Other times, it's simply a matter of correlation. Great-great-grandmama Betty once planted basil with her tomatoes and had fewer hornworms that year, so now everybody plants basil with their tomatoes. Is it possible there's a science-based reason for that phenomenon? Yeah, absolutely. Is it possible it was just coincident? Yeah, absolutely. And I will tell you, there are numerous studies done on aromatic herbs and basil specifically and yes, there are pest-repelling properties to many of them, and this effect is definitely increased when the crop is covered with an insect netting that actually helps to exclude those pests too. But studies also show that the simple act of planting more than one crop together, regardless of what it is, also reduces the number of parasitic or plant-predating insects. And this is basically because a monoculture, one single crop all by itself, is way more vulnerable than a diculture or a polyculture. If you've got one crop by itself, the predatory insects can hone in on it very easily. But if you have different plants all together that don't attract the same pest, essentially you've got a host plant surrounded by a bunch of non-host plants, well, it helps to camouflage the crop from their individual predator. So the plants are masking each other's chemical cues that the insects use to find their host plant. And then if you add something that helps to attract the natural enemies of those pests, like ladybugs and lacewings and parasitic wasps, well, now you've really taken natural pest control to the next level, all with companion plants. Now, the other way to do this is with a trap crop. So, for example, aphids seem to be especially attracted to nasturtium. So interplanting nasturtium among plants that you typically battle aphids in may be a way to go. It keeps the aphids on the nasturtium and away from whatever else it is that you're growing. 
I've also done this with dinosaur kale and mustard in my brassicas as a sacrifice crop. I've planted the kale or the mustard seeds early enough to give them a good head start before I transplant my broccoli and my other brassicas. And then after I transplant, I cover the cash crop really tightly with insect netting, but I leave the kale or the mustard exposed. So the moths and the butterflies gravitate to the uncovered easy targets of the kale and the mustard, and they stay away from the broccoli and the other things that I've covered up. I can then chop down that sacrificial crop and feed it to my chickens or burn it or otherwise dispose of it and the eggs and the larvae of the cabbage worms that were now present on that crop. And that's keeping my other crops safe. This is just one example, but it's another way that we can use companion planting to benefit our garden. And while it may do no harm to plant most things together that seem like they would benefit from each other, even if there's no scientific proof to the benefits, we also need to look at the possibility that there will be harm done. So unless you are using the crop as a trap crop, like I just described, you generally don't want to intercrop things in the same plant family together. For example, you don't want to plant carrots and dill together. They're in the same family and they attract the same pests. This goes with intercropping your kale with your cabbage or your broccoli, unless you have something else in there that will deter the cabbage moths. So when you see lists of plants that are supposed to be good companions and the list of the bad ones, understand why it's a bad companion. Do they have the same nutritional needs and they're going to compete with each other? Do they attract the same pest? Does it give off a chemical that may stunt the growth of certain plants? These are what you need to consider with both companion planting and intercropping. Another companion planting idea is to use plants that grow deep roots alongside shallow rooted ones. Plants with long tap roots like parsnips and carrots will lift nutrients from deeper in the soil and the nutrients can then benefit those plants with shallow rooted systems like leafy greens. Which is why I think we can really just use the terms intercropping and companion planting interchangeably with very little exception. If you're planting something specifically to help repel insects or to improve growth, then it's companion planting. But you're likely doing this by intercropping those plants in some way. And we've already determined that intercropping can not only help you maximize space in the garden, but can also help combat weeds and better utilize moisture and help repel insect pests. So if you haven't downloaded my little cheat sheet for companion planting, head to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash chart to get that free download. Um, it's, a, it's a little chart for the most popular vegetable crops and families and their friends and foes in the garden. Um, justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash chart. It's a companion planting guide. No matter what you call it, what it boils down to is intercropping and companion planting is a much better way to garden for us and the plants than the typical monocropping of individual crops in individual beds all by themselves. And it should be an integral part of our garden planning. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I will be back again on Friday for another Focal Point Friday Gem of Wisdom. Until then, keep on cultivating that dream garden, and we'll talk again soon. You just finished another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. 
For more information about today's topic, go to JustGrowSomethingPodcast.com, where you can find all the episodes, show notes, articles, courses, newsletter sign-up, and more. I'd also love for you to head to Facebook and join our gardening community in the Just Grow Something Gardening Friends Facebook group. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep learning and keep growing.